You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. What a week. That's right. It was election week. You know, hope you guys enjoyed the election special with my main man, Philip Labonte, last week. You know, a good amount of people listened to it, which is, you know, it was long. I don't know who, who made it to the end, <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was glad, glad we did it. You know, it was, <clears throat> in many ways, you know, it's unfortunate. A lot of this stuff kind of consumes our lives, you know, and as of now, it appears, <laughs> and I say it in those terms uh, on purpose, that Joseph Biden has won uh, the election. There is some dispute there. <laughs> Good Lord. And, and, I, and I think it was it was so fascinating because the, the day of, so I ended up doing this podcast, this live podcast with Jamie Josta, Mark Morton, and Phil. Uh, day of the election and <clears throat> I had all my screens on and I was watching, you know, the results come in and the day of all this stuff, you know, all the numbers seem to be going Trump's direction. What what we call the, the, the red mirage, right? It was all these people who voted in person who probably were going to be more Republican because Donald Trump from, from the get-go was like, mail-ins are fake and rigged so you know uh and democrats tend to take the virus a little more seriously so they voted more by mail and they said it would be this red mirage where it looks like trump is ahead but eventually they would trickle in and he would eventually lose ultimately which happened even though the polls were off again there was quite a big polling error uh depending on, on where you were like oddly there was no polling error in georgia for some reason, but, but yeah, so it was, and so the day of, it was like, I feel like it was 2016 all over again. So what I did was I shut off everything off and I just put on star Wars <laughs> and just ignored everything. Didn't look at my phone. I was like, you know what, whatever it's going to be is it's, it's what is, what it's going to be. And woke up the next day and it looked like it was moving that direction and it took multiple days. It was kind of glued, glued to the TV. And then Saturday morning, that's when it was kind of officially called. And I'll be honest, I was more moved, I think, especially when, you know, when I heard uh, Kamala Harris's speech and then more so Biden's speech. I was, like I said, I was, I never thought he was a good candidate. Uh, but over the course of the proceedings, the, the election, it seemed the pandemic itself created an opportunity for him to run for something instead of against something. And I think he really met the moment and somehow kind of became the right person for the right time. And his whole speech, it's, it's kind of odd because it, it, I guess maybe it's not odd, but you know, it had very throwback Obama esque ideas, which could be perceived as platitudes. 
you know, about unity and coming together and being a president for everyone, which, you know, like I said, in the, in the moment I, I, I was moved and I felt touched and I felt, uh, yeah, I just hadn't had that feeling in, in a while. And, and it felt like a good thing, you know, but like I said, uh, in that moment though, I also was thinking about other people who, who felt like that was their nightmare scenario, uh, who weren't feeling so good. And, and I think it's important, you know, in those moments to, to remember everyone's not happy. And, and, that, and that's partially because the, the rhetoric of someone like a Trump is he paints a cartoonish picture of his opposition that isn't really accurate. And both sides of kind of the part, most partisan media do the same thing. So, you know, there was a lot of takeaways I thought were not really accurate. You know, a lot of people are like, I can't believe 70 million people voted for Trump. And I'm like, well, or that he, he increased, uh, he, more people voted for him. I was like, let's not look at it. Like, cause people could be as, Joe Biden has got more votes than anyone ever, but I don't think that's because Joe Biden was the most popular person ever. I just think turnout was up. I just think more people voted and that's a reflection of the moment. And really it's a reaction to Donald Trump because he's a celebrity because he made politics pop culture. Uh, and he was so loud and so abrasive that you kind of couldn't ignore it. And so it brought all these people into the process that otherwise wouldn't have been there. So the number, the total numbers I think are a little less irrelevant as opposed to the uh, margins in between. So, and I, and I really think this was an election that most people were voting against something. I think, yeah, you have your hardcore uh, Trump loyalists, uh, you know, maybe out of that 70 million, maybe that's 20, 30 million people for sure. Maybe a little more. And, but I think most, I think they were voting. They, they thought they were voting for Antifa, Che Guevara, <laughs> defund the police, you know, uh, lockdowns where they can't leave their house. You know, someone, you know, I saw a video of people thinking it was slavery. They're going to leave, you know, we, and, uh, and I think, you know, Trump made a compelling argument to just like get past the, the, the virus is over. Just get past it. And a lot of people, they, they connected to that. They just, they're like, you know what? I'm done. I just want to live my life. And that actually, there, there is some logic there. And I could, I can understand that, that sentiment, even though if I'm, maybe I'm not there yet. Uh, and I, and I think the majority of people voted for Biden were voting to get Trump out. They weren't necessarily voting for Biden, even though I do think like myself, as it went on, he became more appealing, uh, despite his short, his shortcomings. So, so where are we at? I think, like I said, I had that day of kind of feeling good and not, not in this, I'm dunking on you and I'm glad you lost weight, but just feeling kind of hopeful for the first time in a while. And then <laughs> what happened after, which is Trump doesn't concede says he won, that the votes are illegal, uh, real ugly stuff with not a lot of evidence. People have, have and so, and, and I think that's indicative of the parallel universes we live in. We live in different realities. 
And in one reality, the main, you know, like I said, the mainstream reality, and that's what I call it. It's not a, I'm sorry, it's not a left-wing reality. It's the mainstream centrist normal, like Fox News called the election too. It's not just, you know, not just Huff, Huffington Post. This is the mainstream. And unfortunately, I think the extreme ends of the right have ta- have become the the major bulk of that party and they just won't concede there's lawsuits they're challenging everything and they're and I and I think I understand why it's because well one Trump I just think this is just on brand he would never he would never give in he would always no matter what his name literally means to win and he's had this is his third election. He's won two. And of course, this is what he's going to do. But I think the the support behind him by, you know, the Mitch McConnell's and Lindsey Graham's and things like that is they see those 70 million votes and they, they see that he has 90% approval amongst the Republican party. And so they're like, they want to galvanize. They want to keep his fans. And so they have to make it look like they're fighting for him, fighting for them for political gain. But unfortunately, what you're doing is you're actually fucking up people's expectations. Now they think he's going that he didn't win. They think they got cheated. And even if eventually it all gets wrapped up and Biden becomes president, that stuff ain't going to go away. They're still going to feel that way. And so at what cost? And, the, and unfortunately, I, I believe it's a very by any means necessary, you know, slash and burn and it's really destructive to just our public trust and in institutions. And when there's, and it's, you know, it's really scary. So it's, it's a difficult, it's difficult to feel good about where we're at right now, because that divide between realities is absolutely destructive. Um, and so that's what I, and right now it's, you can, you probably have a Republican Senate more than likely. We don't know yet. Uh, Democrats lost seats in the house. In many ways, I think it might be a good thing because if they don't work together, nothing's going to happen. And Biden is as centrist as centrist you're going to find. He is, you know, always worked with Republicans, was always friends with Republicans. And I think the stench of just those people over there are the enemy. Like I saw, <laughs> I saw a video of Ted Nugent and he was like, Democrats, they're the devil party. And it's like, is that helping? You know, and, and by the way, and this is coming after me giving all these reasons why I feel like uh, there's a lot of ill will and and poor behavior on the Republican side. But I don't, I don't think it's because collectively it's a bunch of bad people. And I, and I, I would never think that. I just think politics, it's kind of like... Uh, if you could get the stuff you want, whatever you believe is right, right? If you believe healthcare, free healthcare is right, or if you think having your guns is right, what are you willing to go through to get that stuff? You know, or you think the opposition is is the worst version that is presented, which is like, you know, they're telling you it's going to be Venezuela. It's going to be Soviet Russia. That's what happens when you get free college <laughs> bread lines. And that's what they believe. They believe the worst version of it. And on the left, too, they thought it was going to be Nazi Germany and they're going to be rounding people up. And so I don't know. I just my optimism is tempered 
but I think ultimately is <laughs> I just listen, I just don't know how these next few months are gonna go. I think it's gonna be really bad. So have your celebrations, whatever that that means. And you know, and if you're not happy, you know, I'm thinking about you. And I'm I'm sorry you're you're feeling poorly about the outcome. Um, cause it's, and it sucks. We shouldn't invest this much into like this one role, which probably tells you there probably shouldn't be a president. It should be very reduced role and shouldn't have that much power in our lives. But here we stand. Well, okay. Hope that wasn't too long winded, but you know, I had to kind of give, give my thoughts on the process, but I love you all you guys. And, uh, I just want everyone to come together and have unity and not see each other as the enemy. That's really important to me. So, I'm going to run an ad. Check it out. Hey guys, my name's Scott Bowling. I have a YouTube show called Good Company with Bowling. What's up? This is Clint Lowry from 7 Dust. Hey, what's up? This is Sonny Mayo. Hey, Ricky Rackman. And you're watching Good Company with Scott Bowling. I've interviewed bands like Limp Bizkit, Fozzie, 7 Dust, Korn. I've had Chris Farley's brother, Tom Farley, on the show. My show is kind of like a modern-day Wayne's World. Oh. If you love a good interview, a good rock interview, or just any kind of interview, please, if you get a chance, check out my show, Good Company with Bowling. Good company with Scott Bowling on YouTube. Scott is a good guy. As you can hear, he has all these incredible guests. And you know, he, you know, I just look right here. He has over 6 million views on his page, on his YouTube page. And that's pretty great. But uh, if you check it out, the thing I really like about his show is, you know, it's in person. So it's not, you know, me, you know, a lot of his, us podcasters were doing you know, stuff with Zoom. He does it in person. It looks great. It looks professional. And there's just a cool vibe. And that's what makes it a little different. And that's what you have to do this day and age to make yourself stand out. So go over to YouTube, check out Good Company with Scott Bowling. That's two T's. And he is the man. I want to thank him so much for sponsoring the show. And, you know, and hopefully, you know, we send some some fans over there to go, go, go check it out and, and spread the good word. All right. We also have another sponsor. We have a band this week. This is a band. And I think I want to say they've already been on the show, but I probably, I think I, I said their name wrong last time. So they sent me the proper name of the band. Uh, it's these guys are from, you know, California. Uh, they did some shows with Vegas nerve, my other band, really great guys, really cool band. They're called CE rebellion. And we're going to play a track entitled, through darkness. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.
Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time. A secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.
So there you have it, man. That that track was was great. I thought that was awesome. Kind of got a like a modern trivium kind of vibe going on. By the way, I have to apologize to the band because I was reading the copy and <laughs> it and I I was confused about uh the band name and so it's Cerebellion, but they wanted me to let you know to spell it, you know, to spell it out for you guys, which is C-E Rebellion, if you're looking for it. Anyway, screwing up all over the place. My apologies, fellas. They're such, such nice guys and clearly a badass band. Anyway, their new album is called Beyond Our Failures, and it drops Wednesday, November 11th, which is the day after this podcast comes out. National Metal Day. Is that true? Is it? Is there a National Metal Day? I didn't know this. I have to do something metal on wednesday you can pre-order the album in cd and digital download with a bundle option at discount through november 10th and at regular price after november 11th at cerebellion one that's ce rebellion one.com and you can also stream or purchase their music on spotify youtube itunes all the places you stream stuff and purchasing sites the band is very active on instagram facebook Stop by, send them a message, search the spelling, guys, C-E Rebellion, but Cerebellion. I love it. They would love to hear from you. So huge thanks to, to the, those fellas. Great song. They're clearly kicking ass out there. Please support them. If you would like to sponsor the show, you know what to do. Send me a message, get drop in the DMs, or you can email me at the Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's E-X. And I have some slots open. So usually what I'll do is I kind of let the, you know, let, let y'all hit me up, reach out, you know, get taken care of. But sometimes I get periods where slots ain't happening yet on their own. So I'll just put out a little message and then usually they get eaten up. So if you want to get in there before they get eaten up, hit me up. All right. Anyway, quite, you know, it's a, it's a good amount of intro, but you know, it happens like that sometimes. Anyway, we have an amazing show today. This is a guest I've had my eyes on for a very, very long time. I love to get guests that I feel other people aren't really talking to. And we have Angela Gossow, the former singer of Arch Enemy, really, you know, a legend in her time. You know, one of the real stars of metal and helped, I think, really expand the map, you know, for for extreme metal and getting it to a wider audience because she just had such a powerful charisma and and force and you know and you know just her story is is super interesting and she kind of she left the band and kind of disappeared from the the public eye so me you know i guess this is a detective coil went out there to track her down and she couldn't have been more gracious and cool and this was awesome so i think you guys are going to love it metal legend Okay, I'm, I'm I'm going there. Metal, not scene legend. See, I'm scene legend. That's not as cool as metal legend. Heavy metal legend, Angela Gossel. Please enjoy. Listen, I want I want to thank you so much. I I can tell that you're extremely busy. <laughs> Do you have kids? <laughs> I don't. I don't have kids. So no, you can't. You when you have kids, that's how it is. Yes. Yeah. So how many? How many children do you have? Two. Two. And how old are they? Uh, three and six. Three and six. Now, 
and this is probably you know start apologize if, if, if i just want to get right right into it but i mean this kind of coincides with you does having children coincide with you wanting to leave the band no actually that happened after i left the band first and uh but I think it played a role in a way, you know? I wanted to have family, but I didn't know how to make that work. Yeah. In life. I think, uh, I know I know women who do it, but it's it's always a struggle. It's like a compromise, you know? And it does, never makes you feel good. When you're on the road, you miss your family, and when you're home, you miss the road. It's just like... I'm I'm really like I'm I'm very German. I just I just do one thing and I do it right, you know? I'm just not good at compromising. I'm I'm really I mean people know me. I'm not into compromises. Well, I mean, I think it's I it's, out, it's the heaviest weights I can lift. It's the longest road I can run, you know? It's just like with everything. When I do a band, I kind of identify myself and I really get into the whole thing, you know, what the band is about and um when I've been an arch enemy, I was all, I mean, I, I did everything. I did the business and also all the live stuff. So, but I didn't know how to, I don't think it would have been possible to keep that up that way. You know, I'm a control freak too. So yeah. I really hate not doing something right now. I already felt like I was compromising because I was just like trying to figure out how to tour less and, you know, and at some point I figured Archenemy is not a band that tours less and, uh, you know, it's either the one thing or the other. So I, I think it played a role, just like in my subconscious probably, Yeah. you know? Yeah, well, I, th- I think there's just a double standard, right, for women where... It's, a, it's, a, it's always like that for women. And no matter what part of business you work it's always a compromise and you always sacrifice your career yeah, but a guy <laughs> can have a kid right and then sure. he'll just leave and leave you know leave his wife at home and and it's you know and it's it's a sacrifice as well obviously not i think it's, it's, it's very tough too i mean i mean i know uh, a lot of may a lot of fathers in business and i think they struggle too it's of not course. nice especially when something happens you know when the kid is sick or an accident happens but it's the same when you're torn you one of your relatives is very ill and they die and you're just like so am i gonna go back to the funeral yeah. and i'm gonna ruin the band because we don't have insurance or am i gonna stay on the road and they have to move the funeral or they have the funeral without me yeah so it's like a lot of grandparents die without their uh, grandchildren being present because they're well <laughs> that's a dark subject we no start. it's it's true it's reality like, though position you compromise and i i don't know i was only ready to do that for 10 years and then i figured no, because I have really, uh, I'm really close to my family. I always miss them, you know. Yeah. What um, what part of Germany do you live in? I it's pretty much in the middle of Germany. It's uh, near Cologne. Yeah, yeah. The like Ruhrgebiet, you know, where uh, Essen is, where Kreta from, and Sodom. That's kind of the part I oh. live. The heart of metal of Germany. Yeah, well, right now it's pretty pretty quiet actually because there's no shows really. It's so. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. It's it's so off this year. Like when it comes to that, because I mean, it, it was supposed to be the summer festival season. We do have a lot of stuff here, and you really frequently meet people, and that yeah. kind of 
I saw you last last summer. That's how we reconnected at uh, Rock, Rock. I can't remember if it was Rock and Ring or Rock and Park, but one of those. Yes. We got to see each other. Well, yeah. So it's like, oh, dude, I know you. That's been a while. <laughs> but you, you, you've been around. You got forbid, and now you're bad wolves, and you're doing podcasts. So, yeah, it's a it's a small world. So it's nice. It, I think it's actually nice because you keep meeting people you know and it's and the weird thing is like you don't meet somebody for 10 years and then you meet them and you just kind of you you start right off where you ended 10 years ago it's just like because you have such a mutual love for extreme music you know and and people have sometimes similar stories you know when it comes to life and their struggles and so it's always like you always have sympathy when you meet musicians or ex-musicians being well, still business. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in, well, in many ways, you know, uh, touring, you know, we toured together in 2002, and then I think again in 2006. Yes, and, Sin and Doomsday Machine. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, you, you know, talking to someone like, you know, Michael, for example, and, me, you know, he's someone I, he's one of my biggest influences as a, as a guitar player, and he mm-hmm. almost kind of, took me under his wing as kind of like a little brother and you know and and you see these these different patterns like you said where he had his original band carcass and then he has his new band arch enemy and that's like and the same thing he was in a band with his brother and i was a band with, and with my brother and it's you have How all did these that for you? <laughs> well you know it, we, we we both ran into a wall well no it's actually a big yeah. a big moment when he was playing with carcass on the reunion tour in 2009 you know my brother quit the band and he actually sent me a message on myspace just kind of sending me some support basically being like i know what it's like to Mm -hmm. have your brother leave your band and that connection Mm -hmm. and you know now i thought that was really just a really nice gesture you know because you know michael's pretty you know he plays it close to the vests you know emotionally he's not he's not you know so that was you know it it was just a a really a really nice gesture but but anyway so kind of let's let's talk about back in the day a a little bit because your entry into arch enemy i think is one of the most interesting cool and smart kind of presentations of a member change ever i I remember because i was i was a huge fan of, of arch enemy uh before you joined the band i remember you know I remember seeing them, they were on tour with Nevermore, and they played this club in New Jersey called Obsessions. This club comes up all the time on the show, but but because a lot of them... A legendary that, tour. I've heard all the stories about yeah. So, <laughs> So this show, it was, you know, it wasn't that well attended. I think there was maybe 150 people, something like that, you know, on a weekday, and... But I remember now, day after day on the road. So. Yeah, yeah, and and but I but I remember you know seeing you know being excited to see our arch enemy because I had oh it's okay I don't know who's calling me at this time. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, you know I was a fan of Stigmata, I was a fan of Burning Bridges, and and I remember seeing the band and being like, oh man, it's arch enemy, it's great, but it just something was missing. There was just mm-hmm. something it wasn't it didn't quite deliver what I I wanted out of the band. And despite me being a massive fan, and then I remember you know, and we were you know, we were label mates at the time, so obviously I kind of had an inside track and I remember what Century Media did was they released the opening track 
from Wages of Sin, but they didn't yeah. say who the singer was. They just released yeah. the track and then let people get an impression of whether they liked it or not. And then they said, here's who it is. It's this yeah. this woman. And it seems like, you ever see that movie Weird Science? Yeah, now we really we really sat down thinking how we're going to introduce a new singer because that's always a difficult thing to do for any band, you know. But imagine never no, more with Warl or Judas when when Judas Priest. I mean, we just like that really didn't go well for Iron Maiden and really didn't go well for Judas Priest back in the day. So how are we going to do this? So we figured we're just going to put music out, out, especially now with a female. If we would have put that out first, it would have been so much talk about it. I mean, it was much less than nowadays because the internet wasn't that. Uh, busy you know and we didn't have so many uh, so many uh, means of communication there was no instagram and no twitter and you know it was just pretty s- simple but still people have an opinion like and they judge upon visuals yeah i think especially when it's women so they rather discuss whether she's hot or not instead of just listening to the music. So we figured it's maybe a, it's maybe a smart move to not uh, disclose that that information because it would have been pretty shocking. We were actually thinking most about Japan because they're so sensitive to lineup changes in general. And I don't think they actually even had. I mean, it's hard for them to get around the idea of having a female sing an extreme metal at the time. <laughs> this is like, I don't know, 20 years ago. So a lot of things have, have happened, obviously, since then. But we just like, how, how, what is the smartest way? I mean, like, let's just put the music out. And people were just guessing. They were thinking it's probably somebody from Sweden. Maybe it's the little brother of uh, At The Gate singer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a little brother of Jeff Walker. I don't think he has, even has one. But anyway, people were just guessing around. That was so, I mean, we enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, the thing is, it was, it was heavier. Yeah, that was. We had- well, that was the thing is, but it sounded heavier than Johan. Of me looking totally cute. <laughs> Hi, it's me. <laughs> so we really enjoyed it. It was a bit of a PR stunt in a way as well. You know, not not as contrived as probably pop bands do, but we had a bit of an idea there because we really wanted to like people to like it without judging uh, anything based on my gender. So, yeah. And then we came out, and that was actually a double whammy because people liked the the new singer, and then they liked the new singer's face and the whole thing about it, and they got really excited, you know. And that really worked out for us um, because at the time, uh, our genuinely was, I mean, there's a, a reason for a vocalist change or a change in lineup. It wasn't really going that well, you know. It's just yeah. like awesome music, but something was missing. And that was the exciting element. And it was really fun going out on, on our first couple of tours and just like going out on stage. I don't think I don't think women have the same excitement nowadays anymore because people get more used to it, yeah. you know. But for me it was just uh it was just fun every night. It's like, okay, let's because they still people didn't really believe it's a woman until you actually go on stage and do that thing. So that was <laughs> the anticipation was <laughs> yeah that was fun obviously uh and then you actually have to deliver <laughs> be on the road and work it and write more music and so but uh the first couple the first two three years were really exciting 
Yeah, no, but I brought up the film Weird Science because in the I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but they these two teenagers create like a perfect woman out on their computer. And to me, and I bring this this comparison up, it was like what you know, when you came out with Arch Enemy, it just seemed like they created this perfect death metal singer in like uh, you know, in a lab because you came out and you were you know, I there was this legendary show you guys did at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, and I think it was your first. I, was, I don't know if it was the first show with the band or the first show in the United States with the band, but you know, everyone was just talking about the show where it seemed like on day one, not only did you have these incredible vocal chops, like I said, the the sound got heavier vocally; it was much more aggressive than than the previous singer, but. You had immediately, you could, you had stage presence, you could command a room, you, ha- you had star power, but the, and really great confidence on, on day one, it seemed like. And this is like. At that time, I've already been to death metal shows for 10 years, so I think I still, I probably got inspired. Yeah. <laughs> inspired, not stealing from the best. Because, I mean, I just now, I just remember my, one of my first shows was um, Obituary, M- Morgoth, and Demolition Hammer, 1990 in Cologne. So, I mean, this is like my foundation. And then I saw Carcass, Disharmonic Orchestra. And I, know, I don't know what the opener was. It was like an artillery, I think, from Germany. But, I mean, I've seen, and you know, and then Morbid Angel on, on their Elders of Madness tour. I mean, that, that was the end. And, I mean, I just I obviously didn't have any women to look at. So I just took <laughs> that, what the dudes did. And I'm like, I want to be just like that. So this is what I put on stage. <laughs> you know, all these aggressive moves. And because I felt it like that. I mean, that's why I started out with death metal when I was 16. Because I like that attitude and that just go for the throat and ready for a kill. Although I was already vegan. But, you know, that anger that I could put into that. And that's all I did, you know, really. Got inspired by all the great death metal bands that I got to see. Um, I well, listen. I'm pretty. <laughs> but I li- so I, I listened to some of your earlier bands. I listened to uh, Asmo Asmodina. Was yeah, that- which actually I just announced today that I'm re-releasing. <laughs> really? No, it's yeah. it's it's cool because it's it's a, and I listened to that and I listened to Mistress and yes. it's so you were definitely out there doing things and recording music with these different bands. Um, is there? You know, is there a reason why you think those earlier bands didn't get any traction or did or did they get some traction? Totally underground. I mean, I didn't want to. I wasn't. I'm not American in a way, you know, I mean, if you you have the American dream, you go from dishwasher to millionaire in like (laughs) five seconds. And bands try that, too. And that's why people probably join a a metal band because they are a rock band because they think this is going to make it big. And I figured if I join a death metal band, that's going to stay pretty fucking underground. <laughs> because, I mean, that was the sound. I was into Unleashed and Dismember and Entombed and Carcass. They had uh, had the fold-up vinyl from the Peel Sessions and then from Symphonies of Sickness. And it was just this platter cover with all the body parts. And I'm like, this is not going to... I mean, this wasn't commercial. I didn't want to be commercial. Yeah. So... 
we didn't actually try with my uh, previous bands. We just, I mean, we sent demos around just to get gigs. I mean, that's that's what I did, and that's what I did with the demo that I gave to Michael, saying, I'd love to support you when you're down here locally, you know? I didn't even think about going on big tours in a van, just local shows, you know, that you could drive in a day, like maybe maximum 500 kilometers away, I don't know. And I figured I'm going to do my, I finish my school, I get a proper job, you know, and that's it. And I'm going to always going to make music my life, but for fun, not for, uh, not because, not not for earning my, my, my living. I mean, that was, that seemed absolutely crazy to me that I, that, that, that would even be possible. And I mean, I read all the interviews with uh, Chuck Schuldiner from Def and how much, I mean, they were so troubled even trying to come over here because they had huge, had accumulated huge debts, all the expensive flights yeah. and, and equipment and, and a van and a trailer and all that. And so I figured this is going to, this is real poverty being in a death metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people it is. So, you know? I mean, that was my idea of it. And then I actually got, uh, got asked by Arch Enemy and I joined and I quit my job for it and I moved to Sweden because I figured it's now or never, you know, I can, I'm just going to go for it and try. But dude, we were poor for the first 10 years. Like we made 300 bucks a month each. That was it. Yeah. I mean, we could, (laughs) couldn't really live off it. You know, we had like jobs and I mean, this is what most bands do. So even when I was an arch enemy, I didn't think this is going to be big. I mean, well, it felt better than my previous bands, but I mean, my bank account was just that. <laughs> 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 so there was no no Corvette in front of my house, and I didn't have a private jet, and no yacht, <laughs> so yacht somewhere. And, you know, I mean, it was just economy class travel, always middle seats, the cheapest ones. People <laughs> 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 were smoking back then as well, and planes. <laughs> no rock and roll. No. So I don't know. I just like, I, I never really tried. But Argenemy was obviously when I joined on a very different level. They had a proper label, and they had a thing going, and then it kind of did my boom. And I still really, it's my favorite album still, Wages of Sin. Yeah, me too. That innovational feel to it. It's just like, fuck yeah, this is, we created, you know, every band has an album like that. If you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know. That was our album, Wages of Sin, I think. I mean, mine. I mean, there's obviously more Arch Enemy uh, after me, which is also great. So it's it's not. I, I think it's fantastic that a band with that music and that genre can exist. Twenty years, twenty five. Next is gonna be twenty uh, fifth anniversary, actually, next year for Arch Enemy, and they're probably gonna make it to thirty. I mean, well, it's it's pretty amazing. Corona uh, does keep on going. I mean, at some. Point. <laughs> everybody's gonna give up but so far we haven't yeah um well, just i want to talk about ask you a question about when you even just started doing vocals at all did you was it something you kind of how did you discover that you could do extreme vocals i just i mean i had i had my own bedroom i closed the door <laughs> it was all vinyl back then put the vinyl on i'm like okay I'm going to try to sound like Chuck Schuldin on leprosy now or pull the plug. And I've been rehearsing. And in the beginning, I just kept losing my voice. I mean, this is... And you just push through. 
really didn't know what I was doing, but I got better, you know, just by trial and error, just like seeing how it feels in my throat when I move it or... Then I started to, um, I bought, I actually bought books for vocalists, like how to support your breath and how to support your voice and how how to find the different rooms. That's, you know, I mean, just like to get a little bit better. And then I found a band and I practiced more. What did your parents say when when they saw their little girl doing death metal vocals? I mean, mean, it wasn't good, but that was actually in my favor because they were just done all day. I mean, they're both... um, working i had like both of them working and i think they came home at seven or eight in the evening you know so i was just kind of on your own (laughs) yeah i had that whole house working as my resonance room i loved it (laughs) you know i just felt like especially in the hallway i had a really nice sound to it (laughs) i had a reverb going all the time so I was just like carrying my little cassette or like my boom box around and just I was screaming and shouting. And I, I actually don't know what the neighbors were thinking because uh, one of them, she had permanent migraines, I know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure she hated me at some point <laughs> <laughs> because she must have heard it. I don't know. So when, so when you actually – so I want to talk about Wages of Sin a little bit. Like you said, it's, it's your favorite Arch Enemy record. It's my favorite Arch Enemy record um, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I think we, we look at it now and it seems so obvious, but I think at the time – what was really groundbreaking about it was it kind of pushed these extreme levels where musically, you know, Arch Enemy could almost be like this a power metal band that tunes really low. Like the music is almost purely heavy metal in a traditional well, sense. Well, it wasn't even down. To, yeah, some songs we did. What was uh, it? C, C standard. Yeah. I think that's what we tuned lower. The rest was like not 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 as low as most death metal bands go. No, I know, but but it wasn't tuned to E like Metallica. It was down lower. So it wasn't Justice Fall. No. Yeah, but it was a lot of classic sounding music. Like the the playing was was melodic in a way that you would hear from an Iron Maiden or something from a guitar standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, but like I said, there was, a, but it was diametrically opposed to these really brutal vocals, and and obviously we, you could see the through line between what Arch Enemy was doing and and Carcass, who really kind of developed that melodic element with death metal. But you know, it was just, it was just such a move forward for that genre, and it made the band stand out away from the In Flames and the Haunteds and Opeth. Like it was like. Arch Enemy does this thing over here, and they do that thing kind of better than everyone else. And did you? So when you started touring with the band, like you said, you said it was really fun. But you know, did you see that impact right away? Of like this, wow, this connects with people like across the world pretty right right away, or did it take some time to build up? Um, both. I mean, musically, Arch Enemy is basically. I mean, Michael and both Mike and Chris, very influenced by Iron Maiden, but also Scorpions and lots of melodic stuff, but also really cross-punk, which is super extreme, I think. And in, in the middle there somewhere is thrash metal, which also played a role. Of course. And I think that's what they tried to... They basically tried to put all their musical influences in, into one band. And so we had, you had that 
hybrid monster of super melodic guitar playing and then those aggressive fucked up vocals basically mm. you know that was kind of their um their recipe for 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 the music and um it, it resonated with a lot of people some people didn't even like the extreme vocals but they loved all the guitar work and all the melodies you know and they could live with the extreme yeah. vocals. <laughs> then some people really like love extreme vocals but without the vocals the music would have been too mellow for them but the combination was okay so they really liked the vocals so we got a lot of these people going um, but we just started small too. I mean, you know, my first shows were, were also in, in front of 500 people or 600 or 200 or sometimes a hundred. I remember some of those shows. Those <laughs> weren't the big halls and venues, but we just played all the places. I don't even have a backstage room because of that small. So sounded like a workhorse really on <laughs> a couple of tours, but that's, it's, it's cool too. I mean, I'm really happy. I really benefit from that experience. Yeah, did um, did you have any creative control over some of the songs? Would you, would every now and again, would they bring you like a song or a riff, and you're like, "Nope, guys, it's not good enough. Go back to the drawing board." Or yeah, you just- that was that was all the time actually. I mean, not not that I was saying good enough, but we actually we were sitting in the rehearsal room together, and they had a bunch of riffs, and we wrote songs mm-hmm. out of the riffs. So. It was just like, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be the chorus, and we have to have that. That needs to come back because it's so awesome, and uh, you know. So that was just like a really uh, a team a team effort. It's still Michael still doesn't write on his own. He writes a lot with uh, Daniel actually. So he's never it's never been a one person uh, writing. And 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 there was Michael and Charlie and and uh, Chris writing, and I was in the room and Daniel and we had opinions and at some point you had a had a track, so you know and went really that was kind of easy I think. Yeah. But that's why I, these were like my songs because I mean I have a very certain style of singing as well. I'm not good. I can't do this rapid. I'm not Arch Spy or any of these bands. You know, this mm-hmm. rapid vocal phrasing has never been my thing. I'm really bad, actually, at keeping the beat. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm really not like Daniel is the opposite of me. Daniel is this. this He's a machine. Drummer guy, this machine. <laughs> he does all these in between and syncopes and in between beats and all that. He can count them all. And he was just like basically. Try to explain the riff and his drum <laughs> and why I should supposed to sing, and I'm like, but I felt the difference, so I didn't really care about all, all their ideas of where the vocal phrasing should be, if you think like on a rhythmical level. But to me, it was like it, how where it sounded good. So it was sometimes a bit off, but also cool, still different. So. Yeah, we we all brought in our ideas, you know, and it made it. And the track was every track was done at the end. And um, there's not there's not one album I think is bad. My least favorite one is Anthems of Rebellion, actually. But Wages of Sin and Dimstepchi, uh, really great song, but not consistently. So like the sound, it was too fresh metal for me somehow. I don't know something is. Something about this album. I mean, it's one of our biggest hits. Like we will rise on it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's obviously a good record, but yeah, it's a, it's the one that I listen to the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed about you guys is that I feel like a lot of 
artists, especially in in the more extreme world, that they don't really think about kind of their image and how they're presented. And I think seemed, they do. Well, huh? they don't. I mean, they all wear their uniforms. They yeah. have these black shirts. They have a really angry face. <sighs> they do this, you know. It's 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 a uniform as well, you know. And then they have these bullet bells. But it's, the, a lot of it's boring. But it seems like when you, it seemed like you actually you and kind of reflected through the rest of Arch Enemy, where you guys would have these cool like armbands that everyone had, and you seem to really pay attention to presentation and i think in a way it uh it after made... a while we started that on doomsday machine yeah I think. well the... well what i'm saying is it i i don't think a lot of metal bands realize that uh, you know there's a, being a musician and there's kind of being a rock star right there are two kind of different things and half of it is kind of presenting a larger than life thing to look at and and it seemed mm-hmm. like you guys kind of understood that that you know and and that's honestly i remember i saw you guys open for nile i want to mm-hmm. say and you know and that was and there was just this big difference between the death metal world right and it's just like mm-hmm. kind of you know like out of shape guys kind of with beards and it's like there's just not much and I'm not, I don't mean to say that to to disrespect Nile or anything. I just mean I just mean the scene in general. I love <laughs> yeah, Nile. They're not listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I don't want. That. I'm not talking about them um, in particular. I'm just saying. But I remember when you guys played. I went. It was I went to the Birchill nightclub, and there was just something bigger. Like it always seemed when you guys were playing. I was watching like Vakin Festival or something. Like you were. You might. It might have been a club, but you guys presented like it was an arena show. And that was, and it seemed, was that something that you thought about as a, was that planned or did that just happen naturally? Yes, of course. I mean, it's not, it just, it's not like these things fell on us and we like, okay, this is what I'm going to work tonight. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I think it was around Doomsday Machine where we had Chris leaving for the first time. We felt like we need, um, we need something that shows that the band itself is larger than it's individual, each, uh, the individual musician in the band, because it was we were so worried about. Okay, now that Chris is left, is this still our enemy? And then it took, it took a while. And like, yes, of course, that we are still our enemy. There's just one person opted out, you know. But it's still our enemy, and we felt like we need to present that in a in a like unifying way. So we figured we're gonna get like the same sort of look. You know, we don't have like stripes and uh, or cut off sleeves or whatever, but we're just black and well dressed. But we have this sort of like the resistance, you know. We yeah. have these, these armbands that, uh, and we felt also like a resistance because it was the first time in our life we really went through a crisis that we had to make through it together. You know, us against the world, us against the label, freaking out, and you know, just like feeling like. Um, we need to show our strength, and uh, that's how it really came about. It's just like making making us a, a tighter unit, and it lasted. It's it still it's they still do it. So I think it's important for a band to find a common personality, and that's yeah. what we at the point. And a lot of bands who don't do that, they have a lot more member changes. Yeah. 
yeah, we have been pretty consistent. I mean, we would even try to get Chris back in because we really missed him, but it didn't really work out for him. So, well, did he come back for Rise of the Tyrant? He yeah, could... yes, for a while, exactly. But he tried, and it's just not not everybody wants to be can be on tour for that much, you know. He, so, just, he was just burnt, burned out. Know, he just close. didn't want to... still, We still kept close, you know, we cared. It wasn't a bad breakup or anything. It That's was good. Like, so we won't try to get him back in. And, um, yeah, well, I was consistent for about 10 years. <laughs> and, and then sometimes you have to change uh, members because just people change. But some bands change members every three years. That's a bit heavy, I think. And then it's hard to find that unified fight personality but um we when when we were that lineup with or without chris but when it wasn't the band we really had that we were thinking the same actually as well it's um you know i mean you know you you tour with bands you just know how you assimilate when you're on tour you know because you know each other so well that you, you actually know what the other person is thinking in many situations you know well you have to be for i think you, you have, have to be that. friends you know, you have to enjoy each other's company because you're yeah. around each other so much. Perhaps it's more than friends. You become a family. So that's kind of what we wanted to show as well. That we just like this one thing, you know, that tribe of people. So I remember what, what... The soul fly dimensions bringing all the families actually along <laughs> a small tribe. <laughs> so, I, you know, one of the things I remember when we toured together is I feel like we would never see you. Right. Because I feel like and, all, and a lot of times that you'd be keeping to yourself because from what I gathered, not because you were antisocial, um, it was because you were you seem to be someone who was very health conscious and yeah. was being you were really, such... I was running on my own all the time. I didn't know how dangerous <laughs> America's back then. I got lost twice and I had no cell phone on me, like in some woods. <laughs> and people and just cars always slowing down on the roads uh, because I was actually running, jogging on the roadside. And, and you don't have pedestrians in America, you know, in between all these mall marts. Yeah, there's, there's no, no pedestrian way. I mean, there's not there's nobody walking. So I was that that alien <laughs> in my in my jogging clothes, like <laughs> my workout gear. Running and the people were just getting slow, and I had started really freak. I, I got really freaked out by it, and I couldn't find my way back because these industrial areas they all look the same. Yeah, and I made it back thirty minutes before show time, <laughs> and I was just wrecked. And so they're like, "Fucking hell, where were you? How do you look?" I'm like, "Dude, don't get lost in it. Listen, you get you get kidnapped in America. You better watch out." Wait and strangled now this is it this is the end of me somewhere in i don't know arizona or <laughs> i can't remember but i was i was i still remember how scared i was actually so yes that's what i did on tour i did um i'm also actually an introvert it's like i'm not an introvert but i'm a very sensitive person yeah. there's a lot of energies on tour like from people and backstage and that noise and everything is tight and everything is dirty as well so I kept a lot, yeah yeah it's true you know so a lot of people going through and i mean nobody was sanitizing anything back then yeah and just mold everywhere they had really run down venues and i mean we had a we had from day one we had 
and, I, and I'm very thankful for that to the ex-management. We had actually a tour bus. It was just a single decker, but it had space. Yeah. That was just for the band and the crew. And uh, I actually got the back, uh, the, 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 um, what is it called? The back lounge. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it's tiny. It's just two, I don't know. It's like two square foot. I don't know. Not, not know, a lot of space, but more than anywhere I, else. But in there, one thing, and that, that was that was the length, and that's just like so. But it was so amazing for me because I could just pull out of that backstage madness. Everybody shouting and screaming and smells of food and farts. I don't know. <laughs> I could just I don't know. It's not like that. I'm. I can do all that, and I can be around, but I'm sensitive to it. So when I often felt like I need to pull out a bit before I go on stage, because stage is so in- intense, like 120 minutes or whatever you do there, or 90 minutes, I need I need energy for that, and that just takes all the energy out of me, that that backstage life. So yeah. this is really why I did that. Did um yeah. how did how did because you know you became you know, basically a star in the metal world. I mean, you know, did kind of like back then. I mean, it, I didn't have like 350,000 followers on Instagram or anything. I mean, I well, couldn't. If you had Instagram, you would have had 350,000. I mean, look how many Alyssa has. When I went to Walmart with a hat on, nobody ever recognized me. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's but, amazing. but I mean, so you never, you know, well, I just think you're a very unique person in that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they kind, you know, because you're on magazine covers, you know, and you're, you know, in the the hottest women in metal in Revolver and these we- these weird kind of things. Yeah, yeah, but they put me in there without asking. It was yeah. a big. Shit. You didn't like that. No, I didn't. Like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine all, with all that nowadays because I mean we all relax. But back in the day, I thought that's not true. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> True metal. Metal. <laughs> metal is not supposed to be about that. Yeah. You know, it was, I don't know, sleaze rock. Yeah. That's how I felt. So that was, a, I'm, I'm like, dude, I want to be an extreme metal band. This is not. Uh, yeah, it's not. Well, you always, <laughs> I think, one thing I think, one thing I think was cool about you was your stage presence, which I, I think you're one of my favorite singers to watch live because you had such strong command, but not in a way like, but it, you still seemed feminine, but in a very strong way where like, it was like you were on stage and you're like, this is my stage. I'm running the show. And it's like, it's like getting a dog to heal. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I gotta, you know, but it was never seemed like you were trying to do that. You just oh. owned it, you yes. know? And so I, I I'm really like that. I really love to do, and that's who I am. Yeah. It's not all of me, but it's actually a part of me. Do you miss that? Just getting on stage? No, I mean I've replaced it. You know, first of all, I, I do uh, manage bands, and I'm not always cute when I do that. You oh, know, of course. I, I can be, I can be very dominant. I'm still very dominant there, but I think in a good way. So, so I, I kind of run a tough business. Band management. I can and imagine. Yet, I do extreme sports. That's why I put it in, in nowadays. You know, I really, I do. I say, well, today I do three thousand skips, and I rope skip until I've done these three thousand skips. 
you know so I, that's really all oh, i lift this i'm gonna deadlift these 85 or 90 or 100 kilo now and that's what i'm gonna do or i'm just gonna push through uh 60 minutes of crossfit or high intensity interval training you know i'm still like that and i, I work out every day because i kind of i kind of need that kick yeah and i i have a, a, a studio actually in the basement where i can i just sing along stuff and i scream and shout i still like that feeling yeah. But the you stage, know, you don't just, care about this I don't crowd, have a though. Audience anymore. Yeah, I'm actually okay with that because to me, shows as well. It didn't really matter whether whether that's fifty people in front of me or fifty thousand. I've always felt the same surge of energy, and I've, I've noticed that I can push. I'm still really into pushing myself, but I, I don't need a. I don't necessarily need a, an audience for that. Yeah, well, but that I think that speaks to. Because so many people, and I was like this when I was younger, where I had low, I had low self esteem, so the audience got to fill this hole for me. I also got older, to be honest. I mean, I'm 45 now. When I started out, I was 25. Yeah. You know, you get you get karma. It's just not you don't look for that total kick anymore. You know, I I'd rather go on the jumping arena for two hours with my with my kids. You know, I mean, this is exhausting too. I found different different things that just I enjoy just as much as being on stage. And being on stage was not always pleasant too. You know, it can. And some days it just felt exhausting. It was. It felt like I'm gonna go on there now for one and a half hours, and I'm gonna give the last bit that is left of me to these people. Yeah. And it fine with it but i know i'm gonna be so wrecked and depressed afterwards and it's gonna the tour is lasting for another two weeks yeah you just want to go home moments too you know it's just because you've been sick you've been through cold or whatever you just feel weak your body feels weak or your mind feels weak because i don't know you have like a bad sad story in your life or whatever you just have you sometimes you don't have a good time yeah you know you hate yourself or you I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, and it's not like that I'm an up and down person. I'm actually, I'm very positive. The glass is at least half full person all the time. And I have a lot of energy. But I, I really like to give out energy as well. And I'm one of these people who always take care of other people. You know, and I was, I'm always last. And that can that can come to a point, get to a point, especially on tour. You notice I'm, I'm so wrecked. Like, I, I, there's nothing left of me. I'm just skin and bones, literally. <laughs> like, I got to go out there and I'm going to do this. It's uh, it's like a long workout. <laughs> and then I'm just going to crash into bed. Everybody's out there drinking, having a good time. And I'm just like, okay, this is it, you know. I'm done for today. <laughs> so, I don't know. I've, I've, I'm, I've always been a strong person on stage, but I, I, it's not like I'm strong 24-7. Nobody is. And being unique, I think everybody is unique, but it's tough to get noticed when you're like almost 9 billion people. And um, a lot of people are very unique with, and, and, and extremely important in what they do, and they get no recognition. So I never really thrived on that recognition because, dude, nowadays all the nurses in hospitals, their job is much tougher than what I've ever done. I would be crying after three days. Yeah, no, that's... You mean, they don't even sleep. They do double shifts and stuff like that. <laughs> I'd be on my knees crying, vomiting, you know, after <laughs> three days. I'm not that tough. So 
that was just being that was my stage persona and i do like to get to an extreme but i think there's a lot of tougher people out there than me you know but we all think in death metal especially that we're these tough people just because yeah. we look tough <laughs> <laughs> but we cry you know when there's a sad scene in the movie and i think we'd cry out there in reality a lot of times so when did you know you wanted to leave the band or stop singing for the band at least and that's a long process, actually. Yeah. I mean, did you know before the it's last not album? Like one day you wake up and be like, okay, this is it. I mean, this is not what you do because I feel I felt super responsible for the band. I was also running the business, the management business since 2008. And I, and yeah, I, know, I know about the financial situation of everybody and like their dreams and hopes and that they have no pension fund, they have no savings, no, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that you have built something now that is actually, if it lasts another 10 years or so, it's going to actually make sure that these people are going to be okay for the, for at least a, a while in their life, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, it was, it was a decision that was based on a lot of things of my, on my like feeling that I'm kind of done with this and I want to move on, you know, do something else and, and be less, egocentric because that's what you become as a vocalist you mm -hmm. always just think about your voice you how how you look how you're gonna sound that you don't catch a call that you're gonna stay fit and healthy that you're gonna do this promotion and then you do the show that you have to be careful with germs and bacteria that tomorrow is a long flight where you probably won't sleep and you when you crash get into the hotel it's gonna take you another two three hours to wind down this is you just think about yourself all the time because you just have to keep the show running, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like the self, it's not like, okay, I gotta get, repaint my fingernails or I really gotta get this treatment, but it's more just like, I gotta be, stay fit and, 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 and healthy and, and, and pleasant to the eye throughout this tour. And I just, I started to have, hate myself. So that's a big part of my decision as well. Wow. I started to hate that person that was just thinking about how to, maintain all this small aspect of my personality really and i felt like i wasn't making a difference with that anymore mm -hmm. like hannah i wanted to give something more else i wanted to do charity work and you know be close to my family be supportive there and just be responsible for somebody else not just me i got sick of myself so that yeah. was a big part that's really healthy yeah, I, I think it is helpful because you, I think I was also coming to some sort of bur burnout, which is like the meaningless, meaningless of life is a plays a large role when people get depressed to the point where they kill themselves. Yeah. It, it's one of the pillars of getting ill. If you have feel like your life is meaningless, your job is meaningless, your existence becomes meaningless. You, you know, you don't make a difference. Depressed. I mean, this is a, a big part, and it's gonna get worse now through Corona and people just having lost everything. But that was that was my big problems, and um, it 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 also became physical. You know, it becomes mm -hmm. physical too. You just feel kind of ill all the time and not strong and tired. So I didn't want to be that person. Yeah. So it took me a year. It took me a year. I think. I think two two thousand. Oh, maybe almost two years. Two thousand ten. Around two thousand ten. I was thinking for the first time, damn, that's going to be my last album. I just, I don't. You just knew. I want to do this again, just already on the album recording of Chaos Legions. 
I was so exhausted when I was done. It took me like three different uh, time periods because I got ill during every recording session. Like I was, I felt exhausted, you know, already then. Your body was rejecting, was rejecting it. Ah, you know that when you, when your head isn't right, your body isn't right either. You just like. You go out and you have a cold sort of thing. I don't know. Very boring. I hate that. I hated being weak. So that as well. Like physically weak, you know, yeah. not feeling well on body. That was one thing. And then when we started promotion, I was sitting in these interviews thinking, I don't know. I mean, I'm proud of it and what I've done, but I already know this is probably my last album, but I'm not going to say anything now. No. And then I started talking to the guys and said, I think this is going to be my last touring cycle. They totally freaked out. I mean, they just freaked out. Yeah. And then I stopped talking about it because I didn't want to demotivate or depress anybody. So I kept that to myself. I, I just kind of put it in the vault, you know. Very end of 212, when we started the Latin American tour, and we had that Wages of Sin show plan because it was, it was, I don't know, another anniversary, 20 years of Wages of Sin or what was it, 15, I don't know. It was an anniversary anyway. Probably 10 years. Said, no, 10 years, of course, dude. I mean, so much time has passed. <laughs> 10 years, of course. Uh, and we did that show and we, I walked off the, show, uh, off the stage and said, somehow a cycle just ended. I started with Wages of Sin. And I ended with Wages of Sin. And this is, I'm sorry, guys, this is my last show tonight. And they freaked out again. And then we kind of decided it in February, March. It was a long back and forth, you know. Yeah. Because first they said, the band is over. This is it. You know, you, you we can't replace you. You're iconic and you are our genome. And I'm like, no, but, you know, I, I actually found that girl. I think she's pretty awesome. And I think she deserves some praise. <laughs> and she's 10 years younger than me so this is, you know she really wants to do it and I was writing with Alyssa at the time and she had this very similar interests you know she was vegan too she was very health conscious she was working out like like me basically very she professional very professional she had touring experience recording experience she was more versatile because she actually can use her clean voice, Yeah, you know. So I figured maybe this is good as well because if you bring in a new singer, you need to bring something else to the table. You can't just replace the old one with a clone. Yeah, That's boring. You know, you want to have somebody new who just uh, does something that that other singer didn't do. And, you know, it just kind of adds something to it. So I'm like, you should... <laughs> I'm like, just invite her, just have a, you know, rehearse uh, a live set with her, with all my tracks. You know, she walked in, she conquered, because, I mean, she could sing all the songs. And they're like, dude, she sounds like you. I'm like, <laughs> you know, she all the tracks, she, she was so uh, professional about it. And she loved our enemy. I mean, so that's why she knew all the songs. I mean, she, she started growling with Wages of Sin. She bought every album, you know. She was at our shows. I'd met her before, so. Well, no, I was, I was saying there was a, there's a symmetry because it seemed like the same plan that you guys used to introduce you to the band, you used for Alyssa because it was essentially you were she was already in the band. You had already made the album, and you released everything. Kind of, it was very well planned, and it just seems like. 
professionally and behind the scenes, the you know, however uh, the band collectively makes decisions, it's very smart and very nothing is done haphazardly. And um, there's not even a question there. I'm just like impressed that every you know that you well, we are gentlemen you know we are kind of old school that way we didn't ever wanted to say anything bad in public about anybody yeah. you know because it always backfires it's it never ends well when you go out and say well this is your fault and nobody wins in about in, in something like that so we just wanted to have everybody win we wanted people to be excited about something new and us, we wanted to stay friends, you know, we just really wanted to stay friends. They wanted to keep working together in the capacity and we want, didn't want to injure or hurt anybody. And so we, we really sat down and said, how are we going to do this right for everybody involved? We just need to take time. Let's not go out now. Let's really think about this and let's see how everybody feels and if it ever works, if she really fits in the band, if you guys are comfortable around each other. I mean, that's a whole process. And that's and when it felt right and it settled and um, we we all, we actually tried to kind of time it with everybody with the label and ex members and the band and you know everything. And and when 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 we've done that, then we decide on a date, and that's when we go on. And before that, we just keep our mouths shut because why? Why is that? Is that just because you want to be out first with the news piece or win a battle? I don't know. There was no battle, you know. So I think we're just really we're just well we are just actually well behaved people in that day. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm jealous of all like, of all this calm and ease. And we're not that emotion and we are not like i mean everybody is emotional but you can actually decide to learn how to keep these under control yeah it's emotional it's like either you let it happen to you or you step back from it you recognize it's an emotion it's it's a wave it will go up and go down Mm -hmm. and eventually it's gonna pass and if you're angry, I mean, that's a very strong emotion. If you're upset and angry, it's so easy to give in and just shout, of you course. know, and shout out, out loud in the digital world. It's going to be there forever, but you will always regret that. So it takes discipline to just breathe in, breathe out. You count to 10, you to take a step back, you know, but that's what we've always done with all our changes, you know, in the band. Because we all thought long term, you know, who's going to benefit from whatever long term and going the high road and being in peace and being calm is always great long term, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I listen, I'm, I admire it. I think there's probably a certain amount of maybe, I don't know if it's the, the, the German culture, the Swedish culture or, or something, oh, you know? But I, I, I definitely ad- ad- yeah. What's that? <laughs> We're kind of polite with each yeah. other. No, that's that's, that's great. <laughs> so I wanna I wanna ask you just a little bit about being a manager and obviously you were already dealing with a lot of the business uh aspect of the band even before you stopped being the singer. But you know, uh you know, how is how has that been just because there you know, with Arch Enemy specifically there's this whole 
second chapter of the band like even if you go on like spotify right and look at the top played songs mm -hmm. it's mostly the new songs so yeah there's obviously one of my a favorite tracks of arch enemy actually the eagle flies alone it's like one of my favorite songs ever <laughs> yeah but it's this whole new audience has discovered arch enemy yeah. whereas like me i'm a fan you know i've been a fan since day one so i know all the old stuff and that's the stuff that's close to my heart because i was younger and that was like very influential for me uh, but clearly like in some regards the band has become more successful in the mm -hmm. time you know in terms of being a global pillar of the metal scene is that is that true do you feel like the band is like yeah it's grown i mean i can tell from physical sales and streams that it's growing yeah. and uh, the views on youtube videos and all that they're actually growing and we haven't reached the top yet you know it's gonna be a step up on the next album as well touring cycle so i think this is awesome but it, it's happening for a, quite a few very extreme bands like arm on a mouth i mean you would have thought that they're gonna get that big I yeah mean, no they're the biggest band of that genre probably ever right so yeah right now i think they are yeah. well slipknot is super extreme yeah. too yeah How did they get that big you know well they're Really, really big. They are really, really. I mean, really so I don't, I don't know. Bands nowadays can. It doesn't really matter. I think ex being extreme is not a problem anymore, which is nice. Well, if you can combine it, I think, with the you know having a brand. You know, Amana Marth, for example, they have the Viking yes. kind of uh, yeah. pagan, all that. You know, there's it is. There's a whole culture that comes with that and a feeling and a, a, a certain vibe. You know, you look at a band like Behemoth, right? Who's get, gotten really big in in their world. And mm. you think when you think about Behemoth, something comes in your mind of a feeling and a vibe of, you know, s satanic insanity. And you have a very charismatic singer. And they, so it's, I think bands in the extreme world are thinking bigger. They're more ambitious, um, and and the when you, you know, I think the most important element for any artist having success is really charisma, you know. And so when you have a charismatic front person or or multiple people in the band, like I remember when I saw Arch Enemy, you know, when Jeff joined, and I was like, this band is like the Power Rangers of metal. It's like you have she has blue hair and. Jeff has yellow hair and Mike has red hair. It's like pick your favorite Power Ranger. Like it was like a soup. They're like a super group, you know? Yes, <laughs> I think the same when I see them live. It's amazing. I'm like, well, you don't. You actually don't know where to look. I mean, you just keep missing good stuff because you just you just saw this awesome solo, but you just jumped. You know, it's just no, like it's really. But it's, it, amazing. it's like it's like one of these crazy games. You know, that people just keep shooting at you. Yeah, and that's star. Yeah, but that's I, star I power. It. I love seeing them live, and that was that's something great about not being in the band anymore. Just because I mean, they're singing old tracks or playing old tracks you know for me it's super exciting i'm like damn revenous this is an awesome song <laughs> you know? and i'm in that in, in the crowd and i can feel the energy and that level of aggression that just kind of kicks up a notch I'm like yeah this is just like 
it's it's a song that sounds just like the lyrics say you know just kind of tearing people apart they are alive and you drink their blood you know it's <laughs> 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 in my pajama but dude when i'm in that crowd and with an arch enemy show it's just like for me it's just like because i'm still a fan i love metal shows i'm really i'm really missing them yeah me too <laughs> i fucking hate this time it's I mean, a, it's I've a, not been to one show this year. <laughs> I'm starving. We, you know, we all we all are, and I mean, and I'm sure you being on the the business end of it, you know, because you also manage uh, Amaranth. Yes, and, and that's a they're a successful band as well. Yeah, and my partner manages Obscura. I'm yet actually just signed on uh, another bigger band, and um, yeah everybody's off the road and yeah. everybody's asking so uh, what are we gonna do yeah and everyone's and struggling like, we have to take it year by year right now i mean this is uh it's tough yeah. and i'm really it's tough not to lose uh being positive and being motivated yeah well, this is like i don't know i'm like a psychologist right now keeping just everyone's mental just like yeah just trying to keep everybody because i understand this is not going to be forever like that yeah. you know sometimes it feels feels like forever but it's it's actually there's a there's going to be an end to that one way or the other either we would decide okay there is no vaccine fuck it you know we're just going to make it through because we can't keep killing businesses and families and like the pillar of society you know of course the, the people bringing in the money and, and just like paying for everything, they're out of jobs right now, you know, a, a large part. And and artists are out of job. You can't do that. You can't keep doing that. Um, but on the other side, you know, or there, there's a vaccine, you know, that's the other there, end. Of there it. will be a vaccine within, I'd say, Six to yeah, eight months. That's, that's wishful thinking right now. I still haven't really heard about anything that's going to work. I think this is just what people want. It's a disease that we want to fix. That's yeah. what, That's how humankind is. Well, you could as well go and say, well, everybody knows, stop being obese, you know, get rid of your diabetes type 2, just decrease your risks of actually dying from it, yeah. you know, and, 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 and brace yourself. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and I have that sort of mentality in a way. I've been always been super fit, healthy. I'm just like whatever. I'm gonna brace you myself, and I'm just gonna face it, you know. But I understand there's a lot of people who really want that vaccine, so that's why we keep talking about it. I am not sure if that's gonna happen because with the flu, we have vaccine as well, but you have to get vaccinated every year because that thing is intelligent keeps changing in a way yeah and we have the same probably the same with corona as well i'm not an expert but i just think it's we can't we can't what we do right now we can't keep doing for more than two years we're yeah. gonna be fucked one way or the other yeah but did you see G the band ginger yeah they, I know. they, they booked some shows like socially yes. distanced shows in germany yes. i mean is that are other bands doing that or are you looking to do anything it's like that like, i think it's a pilot, really. It's like a pilot project because they're still, I'm not even sure they still don't know whether they can actually play these shows because regulations changing every yeah. other day. Yeah. So if, if I really, I really hope that this is going to work out, it would be amazing. I pray they don't have to pull these shows last minute because some authority says no. 
and then you just like I don't know you fall on the flights you know that's like that would be uh, horrible it's very risky to do that but they are very uh, they have a lot of courage you know yeah. that's the battle of the fight spirit hey, listen they're Ukrainian those are tough people <laughs> they are tough people they have seen it other times you know yeah yeah I'm so a spoiled generation I didn't I wasn't raised during a war, you know, I just, I've, I've been living in peace all my life, you know, I'm afraid of the future of civil wars and, and I don't know, massive migration. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what, you know, because it's, it's going to be parts in the world. You won't be able to live yeah. in it more, you know, climate there's change, food and there's, there's not going to be water. Yeah. No, they, these are drying up these places, and people are already dying like flies. Yeah, it's a scary but time. Gonna be, there's going to be a massive change coming up in this decade, really, and I'm really aware of that. So I can't really freak out and worry about corona, you know? This is just going to be a glitch, but what comes next is much bigger than that. That's what I'm freaking out about. Siberia burning for like weeks and weeks. Greenland, just like the la Greenland is melting. Yeah. Lots yeah. of holes, you know, in the permafrost. It's just like releasing all this, these gases <laughs> that are going to increase, like just keep, make the temperature rise even further. It's, I don't know. This is the stuff that I freak out about. Well, now you're now you're now you're scaring me. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> I just watched um, a documentary on Netflix, I think, that basically they made a movie out of the predictions, scientific predictions of what's going to happen the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and basically it's going to end all in two thousand sixty. That's not that long. What's going to end? And, yeah, that that world as we know it. Oh yeah, well. You know? We all just live on boats. Fire, and they just kind of—it's the predict scientific predictions. What's going to happen step yeah. by step? It's a very impressive movie. It's not like you can sleep after that. You just go to bed and you're like, "Fuck!" I, I need, I need. I think I need to buy a flat at the North Pole. In 2060, Greenland, we'll be like 80. Up north in Sweden, because that's going to be one of the few places you're going to be able to live at. Yeah. And gonna have try to have potatoes and i don't know grow my own vegetables i'm not sure how this is gonna go in that climate then i'm really not good at it i've never tried it oh that's well, stuff i think about i'm yeah. sorry i can look, i listen i can i i can tell it's um i think it's a scary time for everyone um but we're all obviously trying to is that is it scary enough? I don't think people are scared enough yet. Well, a lot know? of people don't believe in it. Oh, really? a, lot, a lot of Americans think climate change is is a hoax. So it's um. But this is this is this is horrible. I mean, we have science. Yeah. We have proven facts out there. You know. I mean, this is science. It's not like a matter of belief. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are not. There's really... some people think that the Earth is a flat, round plate. You know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, some people think this is just a hoax. <laughs> I know it's it's tough. It's tough. Well, Angela, there's, there's truth like the truth is subjective. You know, there's a truth for everybody out there. Uh, I don't know. The world is going crazy. I'm sorry. I think so. It's okay. It's okay. Well, listen, Angela. I I I, I think it's a great place to wrap up. I've 
really appreciate you taking your time to to be on the show. I mean, you're, you're, I don't you're, even know who's gonna listen to a podcast. A lot of people are gonna listen to this. They, you know, what's that? To the very end, like the yeah, because people miss you. You know, you're you're an important figure in you know in the history. I'm alive, you know. I know, but you're not. You're not really. You haven't really been that public, you know. So no. people haven't really seen you, and, and that's one of the big reasons I wanted to speak with you because you know your legacy is so important to you know the the like I said the the history and the culture of this music that we're all in, involved in, and you know, and me being a, just a fan of your work and also the theme of this show is kind of talking to to individuals who have mm -hmm. lived this life, but also have learned to go on to do other things and realize that there's life beyond the stage and you can learn other skills and you can do other things and still be a, a happy and productive human being, you know, and I, and I, and I just commend your kind of versatility as a, as a human being and your, and your ability to kind of do bigger and greater and different things. And I congratulate you on all your success. Thank you very much. The same to you. You know, you have evolved and changed as well. You know, thankfully. You know, uh, you know. Yes, and uh, change is the only constant in life. They say, and if you, I'm, I just always embrace that. I think that's what people should do. Just yeah. embrace change because it's going to happen anyway. You know, either you run with it or you, you have a hard, long struggle. You know. I know. I know. So, so, thank you, Angela. You have a great day. Thank you so much, Doc. And I hope to see you soon on a festival Likewise. somewhere in Likewise. Germany. We'll see you. We will see you in Germany. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.
Oh yeah. That was one of my favorite tracks from the classic Arch Enemy album, Wages of Sin. It's called Savage Messiah. Just a jam on an album filled with motherfucking jams. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with the legendary, the metal, heavy metal legend, Angela Gossow. That was great. She's so cool. You know, I talk about it in the, in the, in the conversation where, you know, we toured together, you know, she was kind of MIA because she was doing her thing. So it was, even though, you know, and me and her played this crazy email tag (laughs) and uh, trying to do these interviews uh, with people in Europe, you have, you know, these time differences. So it, it can be, it can be tricky, but we made it work. And I really appreciate it because she's, you know, she does so much. She has her management company and she has children and, you know, she's one of those, you know, superhero moms killing the game. So I thought that was great. I, you know, she really opened up tall, you know, just gave her, her, her perspective. And I, and I loved just that really human vulnerability thing that we don't really talk about that much that sometimes pursuing things like music. And especially if you're a lead vocalist that it, it kind of taps into these ugly parts of your ego or the id. Oh, I don't know. I may have to go into the the details of that stuff, learn the psychological, scientific specificity. But anyway, don't want to speak out of turn. But yeah, I, th- I thought that all that stuff was great. And she's she's doing great and trying to get through this like everyone. That was recorded like a month ago or even before that. So there's actually been some updates just today. It turns out Pfizer has the results or I guess, you know, that somewhere in the midst of it. I don't know how how much through the woods they are. I think they studied like 40,000 patients where they have a vaccine that they believe is 90% effective. So that is really encouraging. Uh, Clearly this would take months to implement. And they were saying there is a factory in the, there's two in the States and one in Europe. And they believe they could make some around 1.5 billion vaccines, but more than likely they get the real spread. Other companies will actually have to make vaccines. So there'll probably be more than one vaccine. So I had heard, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a New York times guy. I, I listen to the daily over there and their uh, pandemic pandemic expert said to expect a vaccine around December, January, but that doesn't mean it's implemented. That will take months. So even if you have one and they're still finishing up some, of the the trials to basically see what the effects are, things like that. So I'm encouraged. I do believe concerts, the concerts that are booked in the middle of the year, like late spring, early summer, I think will happen. So that's my prediction. I remain steadfast and remain optimistic, even though I have to say we're peaking right now in the States in terms of infections were over a hundred thousand a day, which was predicted by Mr. Fauci and you know, deaths are not, you know, obviously at the height of it, it was like 2000 a day. It's still, I think somewhere between a thousand, it went over a thousand. Now it's below a thousand, but hospitalizations are going through the roof and especially places like El Paso, they're having a rough time. So, and right now it's getting colder. People are indoors more. People are also sick of the disease. So a lot of people are just saying, fuck it. I'm going to go live my life. Um, so, so there's a lot of stuff. So it's going to be, 
you know, it's going to be a rough few months. And especially considering we're in a lame duck period uh, with the national, with the federal government. So it's good. It's a, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. I think the next few months are going to be weird. And that is euphemism for bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it's going to be, you know, we, we kind of think like, oh, election's over. We can kind of think about it. No, no, it's going to it's going to get worse before it gets better. So strap on. I I would hope personally that I can kind of back off on some of these issues on the show. Talk more about some other things. It gets it gets a little bit repetitive. Maybe you guys are bored of hearing about it. And for that, if you are, I apologize. But uh, I'm trying to think of anything else going on. Yeah, I, I have some great shows coming up. I just did an interview with Mark Holcomb from Periphery. We have that coming up. We have uh, Andrew Tkachek, the drummer from Ghost Inside. I have that coming up. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm booking some stuff. But I do, I have back surgery within about 10 days from now. So I don't, I don't think the recovery is that bad. So hopefully it doesn't knock me out too much and I can, I can stay on schedule y'all, which is the plan. But I always try and, you know, get, I'm usually like a month out of the show. So I'm working it, trying to get some key guests, but I've been like racking my brains. I want to get, uh, I want to get some unique people. You know, like I said, there's so many podcasts out there, a lot of people doing the same things. So I'm going to try and get creative and it's going to take some work, but we're, we're, but we're going to get cool content. I'm trying to upload stuff to YouTube as well, and get which is kind of a bitch, but slowly but surely we're going to be getting episodes up there. They'll probably show up a month later as to not affect our normal ways we listen to the show, but we're going to make it happen. Anyway, go uh, go over to iTunes, leave a leave a review, you know, tell them, tell them I'm pretty cool. Tell them I'm the best. I start acting like a rapper, like... I'm the greatest of all time. No one podcasts like me. I'm a genius. If you say you're a genius, you're the best at something, eventually people will, will believe you. So I'm just going to start saying that. The greatest podcast of all time. Maybe I'll rebrand it and call it that. See what people think. All right, y'all. <sighs> just breathe. That's all you can do. Breathe and uh, have your favorite beverage, non-alcoholic or alcoholic, whatever. If you're you're uh, in the program, you're you're recovering, non-alcoholic. But enjoy that beverage, and take a beat. This too shall pass. Mamba out. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com.